You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. And uh, today, before I begin, I want to remind you that there's lots of very useful stuff uh, at our website, wealthformula.com. That's the place you want to go if you want to get some free stuff, resources, free books. Uh, it's also where you sign up for lists like our accredited investor list, which is called the Investor Club. Uh, it's also where you can potentially sign up for our private network called Wealth Formula Network. And uh, by the way, if you're interested in that, you could also go to wealthformularoadmap.com. There's a course uh, associated with it along with a Facebook group and uh, bi-weekly Zoom calls, et cetera. It's a, it's a paid group, but uh, that's where, you know, you kind of take it to the next level in the Wealth Formula community. Again, that's wealthformularoadmap.com. Now, as far as today's show goes, I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, you know, sort of the psychology of what's going on uh, with this pandemic, and then we're gonna we're gonna have an expert in that area. But you know, let me just start out by saying, or quoting rather, uh, the great uh, heavyweight champion of the world, Mike Tyson, once he was asked what he was gonna do about Evander Holyfield's alleged game plan to beat him. He said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, which I think is absolutely magical. The guy's a poet, right? Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Now, life is full of surprises, right? Both good and bad. And the last 12 months were, to say the least, unexpected. And everyone has a different story when it comes to the last 12 months. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people have died um, from COVID-19 and the people left behind, you know, their family and friends have even more, uh, impact because they carried on with them as they mourned their losses. Businesses closed, people lost jobs. Uh, you know, some experienced poverty and food shortages for the first time. Knock on wood. It's not, uh, people typically who are listening to this show, Marriages came to abrupt ends. You know, I uh, have not talked about this, but this is certainly something that happened to me. And kids couldn't go to school. But you know what? The funny thing is that for those of us who survived, you know what? We seem to be doing okay. We seem to be doing more than okay, right? Think about it. I mean, myself, I am fine, right? And what that proves to me is that humans are incredibly resilient and, as it turns out, can pretty much adapt to anything over time. You know, I often talk about a certain kind of wealth thermostat, right? You may have heard me talk about that where, you know, if you are a $100,000 person, in other words, you're used to making $100,000 a year, your identity is to make $100,000 a year, Guess what? You're going to make $100,000 a year. Oh, sure, it might go up plus minus $5,000, $10,000 per year. You might have an off year once in a while, but you're going to regress back to the mean, which is going to be $100,000. And likewise, if you're a million-dollar person, that's what's going to happen to you. You will find a way to make that million dollars per year around that amount every year, and you won't 
you won't be making a hundred thousand dollars per year. Uh, that that's not where you're at, and you're not going to make two or three unless unless you figure out how to reset your financial thermostat. And if you don't do that, somehow you're going to be kind of stuck where you are. And, you know, we've had shows on that and mindset and, and all that. But as it turns out and relevant to this show, there's also a happiness thermostat, right? Think about it. Most people think that more money will make them happier. You know, but there's been some, you know, recent scientific studies, not that recent, but a few years ago, that show that, well, yeah, money does uh, make you happy. It makes you happier and happier until you hit about $75,000 per year, at which point, you know, your basic necessities, food, a roof over your head, generally those things are covered and you hit your baseline happiness. You're not going to get any happier just for money. Now, that $75,000 per year, obviously, that study was not done in California, but you get the point. Now, lottery winners, as it turns out, aren't any happier than most people either. You you would think so, right? I mean, you know, win the lottery. I mean, I'd be pretty happy about that. And the initial thrill of making a lot of money, you know, probably does get uh, people excited pretty quickly. And all of a sudden they get to buy all the stuff they didn't have. They get to do things they couldn't do. But guess what? It wears off pretty quickly. And, and in fact, studies show that lottery winners tend to rate the pleasure of mundane events in their lives, everyday lives, you know, like going to the grocery store or, you know, doing whatever you do in your normal life. They rate those things as, um, giving them less happiness than control groups. On the other hand, you have people who've been in terrible accidents uh, and who get paralyzed, and they actually don't seem to be any less happy than the general population after initial period of mourning and adjustment. The moral of the story is that we tend to get accustomed to pretty much anything in life that punches us in the face or gets handed to us on a silver platter. Happiness, it seems, exists outside of what we would call objective life circumstances. No matter what happens, we tend to drift back to where our happiness thermostats are set. So that's actually kind of good news and bad news, I guess, right? But of course, who doesn't want to be more happy? Who doesn't walk around, want to walk around feeling you know, happier than they are now. I mean, I, I do. It's not like I'm sad. I'm not sad. I'm not depressed. I'm just where I normally am. And if you could make me 10% happier, uh, I would take it. So how do we turn up that temperature on happiness in our lives? Uh, I wish I could answer that because uh, if I could, uh, I would be doing it myself. In fact, a lot of people are trying to answer that question, though. Uh, the topic has spawned an entire unique body of research, which is called positive psychology. And my guest today on Wealth Formula Podcast is uh, somebody who studies that. Uh, he is a um, life coach and psychologist named Joel Wade. He's an expert in positive psychology. And uh, we're going to hear from him after these messages. Welcome back to the show, everyone. And tonight, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast. Well, he's uh, he's been on the show before. He is the, I will call him the official psychologist of the Wealth Formula Podcast. 
His name's Joel Wade. He's also got a podcast uh, called Mastering Happiness. That's right, Joel, isn't that? Uh, Mastering Happiness? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he is... Uh, well, he's just a really interesting guy who deals with not only, you know, your run-of-the-mill psychology, but also focusing on, you know, positive psychology, which we're going to get into in a little bit, which is, you know, essentially, you know, psychology for people who really don't have a, a negative problem per se, uh, but also want to just be happier than they are. Anyway, uh, with that introduction, Joel, uh, welcome back. Thanks. It's great to be here, Buck. Yeah, so, Joel, you know, the thing that I, I think that is sort of the, you know, 900-pound psychological <laughs> elephant in the room uh, is, uh, you know, the the whole COVID pandemic and all of, you know, the things that we talk about in terms of physical health, uh, mortality, and um, the morbidity. I mean, I've gone through it personally myself. Um but, you know, there was always this sort of balance that um, people have uh, maybe been neglecting in the, even in the health fields of, you know, the effects of lockdowns on mental health. How bad was it this past year for mental health? Can you, can you give a sense of like that sort of uh, the statistics there that people are really not paying much attention to? Yeah, it's, I'd say it's been pretty bad. Um, just in terms of specifically like depression and anxiety, uh, suicidal uh, ideation and uh, attempts and, and uh, substance abuse and uh, uh, even traumatic experiences. Uh, it's been, it's been pretty hard on people. I, I don't have the, the exact numbers, but uh, you can go online. The, the CDC has figures and different, you know, sure. Uh, APA has some things, but the general trend is it's hard on us because we're social critters and, and we need, we need social connection and we also need structure. And, and so, so those have all been disrupted uh, pretty severely. And, and there's another element to it where so depression our our mood system responds to different things and one of the one of the biggest things that drops our mood there's a few things loss is the biggest one so if you lose somebody close to you that that's a a good percentage of people will their mood will drop they'll they'll be in some kind of a depression from that but another thing that we don't think about often is um when we feel stuck, when we feel like in a situation we can't get out of. Yeah. And, and that's very much what we've been in. Now we're not, we're not stuck, you know, confined to our rooms, but there's our, our, our ability to go out and do the normal things we've done all our lives has been really restricted. So it's had a pretty big effect on people. Yeah. I mean, you hear about not only the suicides, but also domestic violence. There's all of this stuff that has been, yeah. you know, balancing act uh, with the physical stuff that I feel like psychology sometimes takes a back seat. Uh, and, um, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's, again, kind of, uh, we're going to see some of the ramifications of that. Specifically, one thing I've been thinking about, Joel, as you know, I have three little kids. 
And mm-hmm. we've been lucky enough uh, where our, our school, because we live in a great climate and everything, we've been able to have school outside, like in tents. Great. And so uh, most kids have not been that lucky. Um, and I know this isn't your area per se with pediatrics, but I'm curious if you can help us understand some of the negative effects on children this year when it comes to socialization, psychological development. Um, are psychologists talking about that? And what are your thoughts? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's the, if you can remember back to when you were a kid, you know, every, every school year was a world in itself. You know, you had your yeah. s- specific teacher or teachers, you were a certain grade, your friends, you had a certain group of friends that was, you know, maybe consistent through the years, but certainly that year, here's our group for the year. And the structure is, uh, you know, you it's built in. There's, there's, there's a very clear structure. You know what to do to do well or not to do well. You have the support of the teacher. You have support of the, you, you get to school and there's a place to go. And all that is, is so important. And we'll get to, it relates to how it's affected our work too as, as adults. But for a kid, it's so much bigger because, I mean, I remember, I don't know about you. I remember, I could tell you the names of every one of my elementary school teachers mm-hmm. yeah, and absolutely. what they were like. Mm-hmm. I knew them. They mattered to me. Um, it's just not going to be the same on a Zoom call mm-hmm. with, with um, all the structure, all the support is, is missing and the interaction, just the regular interaction. Um, I mean, I, I remember... I can tell you interactions that I had when I was growing up. They're just a playground, you know, for better or worse, you know, some that weren't so good, yeah. but, some, but some that were really delightful that stayed with me my whole life. Mm-hmm. None of that's happening. So it's, it's pretty, it's hard on kids. So what do you think the implications of that are? I mean, what, one of the things uh, that I think uh, another negative of this is we'd been dealing with, I think as parents, a lot of us deal with this issue of kids being on, online too much and not experiencing the world and, you know, having, uh, you know, like, you know, kids, kids in a room and they're just basically instead of playing like we used to, I mean, I have to actively encourage them not to stare down at devices, even when they have friends over. Right. Yeah. But now I feel like that is even magnified even more because the way they, they don't, you know, they don't see each other very much. And mm-hmm. so even when they are in person, they don't know exactly how to interact because they're not used to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. in fact, it's, it's, it's what they're supposed to be doing is looking at their screens. That's right. That's how they connect with their friends. And, and so it's sort of turned it, turned it upside down in a way. Um, and I think, so it's interesting the, the, a lot of the exploration of what's happening, you know, the, the research that I've looked at um, was like last summer. Um, so there's, I think there's stages to this. So the, the first few weeks, you know, it's kind of, okay, we're, it's a crisis. We're locking down for 15 days to slow the thing. And then that expands. So we can all rally for a couple of weeks or for a couple of months or something in a crisis, we can do that. But then at some point 
we settle into, okay, this is how life is. And that's when our mood system drops a bit and we kind of get used, we have to orient and to the new situation and, and kind of figure out, okay, how do we make this a lifestyle now? How do we make the best out of this world that we're in now? And so we've kind of settled into that place and we're resilient. We're, we're made, we, you know, as a species, we've been through everything. So we can adapt to that, um, but it takes a toll. The, the mood dropping and the increase in anxiety, the missing of friends, it takes a toll. The thing, though, to keep in mind is how very resilient we are and how resilient kids are. So kids, like, a year from now, this will be... I mean, for some kids, it'll be this awful time. This will be a year that, you know, was horrible because a lot of, maybe a lot of bad things happened. But for a lot of kids, it'll be like, yeah, that was kind of weird. But they bounce right back. Yeah, it's curious. uh, It's curious how that, you know, that, that plays, that'll play out. I mean, I'm not, you know, what I worry about too, and I mean, it's sort of beyond the scope of the psychology necessarily even too, but, you know, or, or maybe not, um, you know, just children being able listen, they learn from facial expressions of one another, and we've been wearing yeah. masks, right? I mean, yeah. there's there's those kinds of things where, like, I feel like there's intelligence that's being, uh, that's formed during these years, facial expressions, and just, you know, uh, social cues, things yeah. like that, that they're missing, that I feel like, yeah. I would think some of this is the long-term damage, uh, that, you know, I'm not saying that they won't come back and be happy and normal, but I think there are some things that, uh, it's hard to imagine they're not going to, uh, have, um, you know, some scars from, um, I, I think with that kind of thing, I think it'll be less than you, than you expect. Yeah. Because I like, so. I remember years ago looking at the, there's research about kids that started reading later than other kids. And for the most part, a year later, they were all reading at the same yeah. level. So, so it um, that kind of thing we can catch up with, and right. and I think most kids will adapt and catch up to that. And 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 I think the the hardest thing though is when you're not seeing facial expressions. That's a big part of our social engagement system, the the place where we feel safe and trusting and stuff. Facial expressions, vocal tones really matter for that. So yeah. I think, you know, in the short term, at, having to wear masks, we're we're missing some of that in our day-to-day, just sense of comfort and joy in seeing other people. Uh, you know, I um, it's another issue that I wonder about in a way is how people are going to adjust to normal life again. So, you know, we, mm. we've heard a lot, um, in the news. And again, I don't know the statistics, but I know at least early on, uh, you know, divorces were way, way up as you know, I was also a casualty of the mm. <laughs> pandemic, yeah. uh, from that end. And, you know, uh, so, but then you've got, Literally, you've even got some relationships that have formed during the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. So they've not seen anything other than the pandemic world in a closing, uh, you know, a closed down way of living. It's almost like 
I I look at it as, okay, it's almost like we're in prison of sorts right now. And there is something called a post-incarceration syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm excited for things to open up, but I'm just curious what, what types of issues you think some of these, uh, uh, this kind of change is going to create for some people? Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think it's going <laughs> to use a psychological term. I think it's going to be pretty weird for a lot of us. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but I, I think for the most part, it's going to be pretty exciting and, and, and good and expansive. I think everyone's just sort of chopping on the bit to be, free again Mm -hmm. to live our lives. And I think there, there are a lot of, from what I saw, actually the divorce rate in general hasn't been, hasn't grown much. In fact, statistically it's been going down for quite a while. Also the marriage rate has been going down. So they've kind of been following each other. So fewer people are getting married and, and so, uh, and fewer of them are getting divorced. So it's hard to separate out, you know, that trend from specifically what's happening over the last year. I think it's very individual. I think some couples uh, will hunker or really happy to just hang out together a lot more. And some couples, there's a lot of stress that goes with that for their circumstances, whatever it is. Um, So I think there's a real mixed bag with how it's affecting relationships. And I think when you're talking about people getting together during the pandemic, I think about people getting together like uh, musicians on tour or something, you know, or, or, you know, actors on a, working on a movie, they get together there and then they're not in the movie anymore. And then, uh, you know, know, the context changes. (laughs) Do they change with the context? Right. Do they change and grow? Right. So, and, and I think the biggest element, frankly, is, is, um, is staying curious about each other, interested in each other, playful with each other, uh, kind to each other. Those, those, those three elements, uh, curiosity really engages our empathy and makes us interested in each other's worlds and helps us be visible to one another. And, uh, and so the more people can, can aim themselves there rather than trying to hold on to a certain experience, uh, the better. You know, um, according to President Biden, uh, everyone should be able to get a, a vaccine by the end of May uh, in the mm-hmm. country, meaning that theoretically by the 4th of July, people could actually, you know, have a relatively normal uh, existence. I mean, I, I think we'll still be wearing masks for some time. So I don't think this is binary by any means. Um, it's not a switch. It's going to be coming off, but things could feel a lot more free by the 4th of July. And for those of us who might be feeling blue, we've got a few months. I know you're really good at this kind of thing. Uh, what are some of the sort of concrete things we might do to improve our mood sort of as a short-term measure? Because I think because mm. I think you uh, you've talked before I know about just some things that can provide sort of temporary uh, boosts in mood. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I suspect it's actually going to be faster than that. 
because I don't know the rates here in my town have plummeted, and uh, I think over about forty percent of people have already been vaccinated here. So um, I, I think once a certain, I think that herd immunity is going to happen much quicker than than people are saying. So uh, I think one thing is to recognize that probably almost everybody's mood has dropped. So a big shift will be our moods will start rising and, and moods move slowly. So, so it'll take a little more time. It won't just all of a sudden be like a switch. We'll, we'll start feeling better and better and better uh, as things start opening up. Uh, I think that's kind of that's kind of built into our systems. So I would start by by knowing that if you're not just all of a sudden perky, <laughs> uh, that you're not there's not something broken about you. It, it takes a little time to really kind of expand out into into your life again. I think taking stock of of the things you can be grateful for. Like if, if uh, you know, any relationships that you have that you value, that you treasure, that you've, you know, stayed connected with people through this time, uh, the more you can feel the gratitude for that. Gratitude is like an antidote for so many things. It's, it's, this, it's like a wonder drug psychologically. Uh, there's no downside to it. So uh, if you can feel grateful that we've been, I think of all the businesses that have adapted. Uh, I mean, a lot of them have, have failed, have not made it through here. We have a lot of businesses that have closed, but a lot of them have adapted miraculously. Um, and just kind of focusing on, on, on the amazing job that people have done, uh, managing this, dealing with this, this is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, so starting there, and then, then starting to think, okay, um, the, the best thing you can do for a boost of, of joy, of happiness, is to be kind to another person. That's the number one. If you want to feel an immediate boost to your, yeah. your happiness, be kind. Do something kind for somebody. Be kind to them. Um, so, and, you, you know, your specialty, Joel, is actually uh, what we call positive psychology. And mm -hmm. uh, so it's not just about dealing with psychiatric illness, but what you're talking about is the, the, the way that you enhance mood and life perspective. D talk a little bit about how that discipline um, evolved mm -hmm. and how, how it works exactly. Well, yeah, it's interesting. Um, Marty Seligman, about 20 years ago, uh, was the president of the APA. He got a chance to, to define a theme. And he wanted to have us focus on what makes a good life, not just what, what gets rid of symptoms, but how can we flourish in life. And one of the, the surprising things, uh, they started having uh, doing lots of finding interventions that would help people increase their happiness, their well-being. One of them was a very simple thing where you think of three good things at the end of the day and, and what you did to bring them about, you know, what, what you, the role you had to play in them. Um, and also maybe if somebody brought you something if, that you could feel grateful for. And they had it 
connected. This was online, so it was like hundreds of thousands of people. And they also had them take a depression inventory as part of the, the study they were doing. When people did that simple intervention, after two weeks, uh, a good percentage of people went from, you know, pretty depressed to not depressed. This is, this is an exercise to help you flourish. It's not designed to treat a symptom. And yet by focusing on, on a flourishing, expansive life, in doing that, the symptoms of depression lifted. That was a pretty big deal. That was almost that was almost 20 years ago that happened. And that gives a different context entirely for something like positive psychology, where you're looking for what makes a good life um, as opposed to treating symptoms. It turns out if we focus on what makes a good life, it does a, goes a long way to helping symptoms. Um, and... Part of what it does is it makes a bigger context. So my problems may be the same size, but I have a bigger context. So the problem is smaller in relation to my whole life. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, yeah. You know, it's interesting. You just say uh, that that's an easy one for everyone to try too, especially if you've got kids and you want to yeah. stimulate some conversation around a dinner table. Yeah. What are three good things that happened today that I've actually tried that. Yeah, uh, it's funny uh, what will come out of the mouth of a five-year-old in that context, mm-hmm. but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's it, it's funny. Um, you know, uh, so you know my audience: very high-functioning, uh, mm-hmm. highly you know successful professionals. Uh, you know, can you give and and these are you know a lot of the people that you work with on a coaching because it's really mm-hmm. sort of a coaching, right? It's not. Yeah. Uh, to give us some examples. I mean, obviously, you don't, you know, we're not going to talk about anything that gives anybody's identity away, but give us an example of someone who has, you know, used some of these techniques and, and what kind of differences uh, is made in his life or his or her life. Uh, maybe some examples. Oh, well, I think, first of all, there, there's, um, I think it's important for, for people to know that we all have something that we wrestle with. You know, we're not, we, we didn't, none of us came into the world uh, perfectly, you know, functional on every level with the, with the clear owner's manual. So much of, of our, our, our job on earth is to get to know ourselves and get to master our own strengths and weaknesses, our gifts and our, you know, there, there's, we're just so complicated that, even if somebody has the best of circumstances, the, all the love and nurturing and opportunities, and they have and they they um, have self awareness and conscientiousness to to help them focus. There's still a lot of work to making a good life, to to really making ourselves you know successful and, and functioning uh, in a in a really you know in a real successful way. Um, so there's, um, I've worked with a lot of very successful people and everybody has stuff and that's not a, that's not a criticism. That's just a statement of, of what it means to be human. We're not there. Nobody's perfect, but perfect isn't the, isn't the standard. 
Um, we uh, so part of the issue when we're tremendously successful in one area is that sometimes we're we're successful because we put all our focus on that one area and some other areas of life can suffer for it. You know, we might be uh, very successful financially, but we haven't take care, taken care of our health or we're successful. We have a, a great marriage, but, but we haven't really found work that we enjoy, you know, or there's, so Nobody has a perfect balance with all these things. We're just, again, too complicated. But the challenge is to look for, okay, I'm really successful here. What are some other categories of life that, that I've ignored or neglected? Because every one of those you fill in helps strengthen you overall. Uh, so if, if you're... If you focused on your, your business success and your health isn't so good, okay, well, maybe it's time to put some effort into that. Uh, if, if you haven't been paying much attention to your wife or your kids, maybe it's time to open some more space for that. Um, so a lot of what are thought of as symptoms or, or painful places in life, a lot of it has to do with things that we're – we haven't focused on. We haven't we haven't put the time and energy into mastering. Um, um, so, uh, I've I've worked with people that are very very successful and uh, and they struggle with depression. But they struggle with it and they get to know it and they 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 know what not to do. Like I have a tendency toward depression myself, so. Um, I know that I need to exercise. If, if I don't exercise, I can feel my mood system drop. If I exercise, that's not an issue. I know not to listen to certain music. I'm not going to listen to Harry Chapin songs, you know, or, or I'm not going to listen to sad ballads yeah. because it's not good for me. Yeah. I, I can yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, that's a beautiful song, but I'm not going to listen to it. Yeah. So just paying attention to what supports you and what, what doesn't support you uh, is part of the mastery. That's why I call it mastering happiness. It's not like, oh, you, you know, just do these ten things and you'll be happy. No, it's a, it's a process. It's a skill set. So the parallel is almost like preventative medicine. Yeah. <laughs> right. I yeah. Mean, exactly. Instead of, instead of just dealing with uh, dealing with pathology. We're yeah. saying, how do we, you know, how do we stay healthy uh, yeah. and, you know, work on becoming optimally healthy uh, in that regard? Yeah. 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 Good yeah. stuff, Joel. Um, a- again, the podcast itself is called Mastering Happiness, and you have coaching services as well. Is there, tell us, is there a website? Uh, yeah. where, where can we get, uh, get in touch with you if it makes sense? Yeah. My, my website is drjoelwade.com, uh, drjoelwade.com. And all my information's on there. I have, I have, uh, my books, Mastering Happiness, The Virtue of Happiness. And, uh, I have a new course that will be out in about three or four weeks on mastering emotions, moods, and reactions. 
So talking about some of the things we've talked about here today uh, in terms of how do you how do you deal with a low mood or uh, and, and what are emotions because they're complicated they're they're not as simple as as we thought. So yeah, I mean, if this is a good time for anybody who's looking for that metamorphosis to come out on the other side of the pandemic. Yeah, and uh, so uh, Joel, thank you very much again for being on Wealth Formula Podcast, and I'd uh, love to uh, have you back. and And hopefully, when we have you back, it'll be a you know a new world. It'll be the yeah. post pandemic world, and and uh, it'll be parting like it's uh, I don't know, I guess. 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the old days. <laughs> right. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you, Buck. It's a pleasure being here as always. You a bet. A lot of fun. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hopefully that was uh, something you enjoyed. I think at the very least, I think we have to, uh, or we should, uh, think about, you know, how our moods are regulating and, uh, you know, take to heart some of these issues that, that, uh, Joel brought up and obviously also go back to that concept of the happiness thermostat. Joel is uh, a really good guy. If you're interested in working with him, you should definitely reach out to him, but there's also a bunch of, uh, you know, books written and stuff. If you just start Googling positive psychology, you can learn all about this stuff. And uh, it's probably worth your time. I mean, after all, what is this all about, right? And it's just financial wealth is only one part of, of what we're trying to do here and accomplish in this world. Uh, and uh, its ultimate goal is to make us happy. So if we can get to happiness without, uh, you know, with less money, that's not a bad thing either. Anyway, that's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.